from Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. The platypus is one of Australia's most iconic and intriguing animals. But like so much of our natural wildlife, it's been under threat, first from our destruction of the environment and now from climate change. Today, writer for The Monthly, James Bradley, on what makes the platypus so special and whether we're at risk of a future without them. James, could you start by telling me what a platypus is? A platypus is a monotreme and they're very strange animals. Like a very Famously, they've got that very odd mixture of characteristics, the duck's bill, the, the webbed feet, the fur. The females had shelled eggs in their overducks waiting to be laid. So to that extent, the platypus was like a reptile. Which meant that early... Early naturalists didn't actually believe they were real. So when, in 1799, a dried body of a creature arrived from Australia that had the beak of a duck, the fur of a rabbit and four webbed feet, you could hardly blame a man of science for viewing it with some scepticism. For a long time, there was a kind of debate about whether this was just a fraud and then there was a debate about what kind of animal it was and eventually they established that it was a mammal. It had been sent from the newly established colony in New South Wales and Dr Shaw in the Natural History Department of the British Museum was understandably cautious. But, you know, it kind of goes more than that. They've got ten sex chromosomes instead of two, which is what most mammals have got. They don't really have a stomach. Their gullet connects almost directly to their intestines. They... They're venomous. Only a very small number of mammals are venomous. Its most obvious anomaly, its beak, is not, in fact, very bird-like. It's soft and rubbery and covered in tiny sensory pores. And their bill, that, that, that funny duck's bill they've got, there's some evidence to suggest that it's actually used as a kind of electroreceptor. So when they're down in the water, they, they move it from side to side. If you've ever seen film of one underwater or seen one underwater, you'll see the way they move their head from side to side. And that's because their eyes and their ears are closed underwater, so they can't really see or hear. But they think what they're doing is they're actually detecting minute changes of electricity in the environment, which allows them to sense their prey underwater. When you watch a platypus underwater, swimming energetically along the riverbed, waving its beak from side to side, it ought to put you in mind not of a duck grubbing around in the mud of the river bottom, but of a human treasure hunter walking over an archaeological site, waving his electronic metal detector. So they're very, very strange animals. Mm, strange, but also very cute. <laughs> they are very cute. And they're very, I mean, they're very beautiful. Uh, there's something wonderful about seeing them because it feels so, perhaps I'm speaking as a city person, but it seems so unusual and kind of magical to actually see one. Mm, it is a rare thing to see a platypus in the wild, but how rare is it? What do we know about how the platypus population has been affected over the last few years by things like pests and and drought and pollution, how many platypuses are still around? Look, so the scientists I was talking to for this story, that was one of the things they were trying to work out. Because we don't have very good data about platypuses. We don't have very good data about where they used to be, how many there used to be, 
you know, what their kind of historical range was. And so one of the things they wanted to do was to work out that, which you can't, kind of can't tell what's happening to them now unless we have some sense of how they used to be. And I was talking to a scientist called Dr. Tanil Hawke, who's at UNSW. I've been researching platypus for the past five years um, as part of my PhD and then sort of continuing that work ever since, um, mainly looking at the impact of dams, historical declines, and then also um, trying to put together a bit of a national risk assessment for platypus. And she did this absolutely fascinating study. So what she did was she went and did kind of like data journalism. Um, So we went through a lot of historic newspaper articles and journals um, to try and pull out any that mentioned platypuses or any that mentioned platypus abundances. They kind of tracked the sightings over time and see how they'd changed and how they'd altered over time. They, They found they've lost about a quarter of their range since 1990, which is an area of about the size of Victoria. But what came out of this process that was really fascinating to me was it wasn't just that they'd lost range they'd lost abundance on a massive scale. One in particular was from the Prince's Bridge in Melbourne um, on the Yarra River, which is like right in the CBD. I think it was 1908, they captured 22 platypus there in one day, which just seems crazy now because obviously it's so urbanised and platypus aren't found there anymore. When you talk to Tennille, what she says is what, what happens is when you start reading these records you realise that there were so many more platypuses in the past. So evidence like that was um, quite alarming given that these days, you know, people will see one or two platypuses and take that as quite a unique experience. So what that suggests is that what we've got with the platypuses is what the Canadian marine scientist Daniel Pauly calls a shifting baseline. So we have a kind of forgetting of the past, this kind of shifting of our sense of what is normal. So we've moved from a situation where platypuses were extremely abundant to where they're not particularly abundant. And we've just, it's, it's happened gradually, so we haven't kind of noticed that attrition over time. Mm. And James, what is the biggest threat to the platypus now? Look, one of the things that came out of the research that the scientists I was talking to were doing is that the problem for the platypus is that there isn't just one threat. What there are is there's a whole range of threats. You know, there are threats of fire, of drought, of increased flooding, of disturbance of waterways, you know, all of these things. And it's not that it's any one of them, it's an increasing what we're beginning to see is a convergence of these things. So they start accelerating each other. You get these kind of synergies between threats happening. So it's not just that there's a threat to them, that there's lots and lots of threats and they start intersecting and there's this kind of sense that they're just like lots of these kind of natural systems they could probably survive one of these things but they can't survive all of them at once we'll be back in a moment as a a. 7am listener you value the story behind the headlines That's why you should read Post, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day, summarising each of their key points with links to full articles from a range of sources. Get the news you need to your inbox every weekday morning with Post. Sign up at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters. For Sloane Crosley, writing about the loss of a friend may not have provided catharsis, but it did allow for the possibility of a better ending. 
Like you have this amazing meal that's this friendship and then you have a really, 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 really bad dessert with shards of glass in it. And then like the book is like, you know, those little chunks of chocolate that come with the bill. I'm Michael Williams. Join me for this week's episode of Read This as I talk to Sloane Crosley about her latest Grief is for People. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. James, we're talking about the dwindling platypus population and the reasons for that. What are scientists looking at as they try and determine what exactly is going on? So I spoke in the course of doing the research for the article to a fantastic scientist, Dr Gilad Bino, and he has been doing research on platypuses for years. The first one that I saw, it was a miserable night. It was pouring. We were cooped up in our car waiting to check nets. So we go, we have these spike nets that we check every three hours throughout the night. And so that's that's like just grueling. And I remember the first one we caught was a, a female juvenile. So she was absolutely tiny, adorable, so cute. It was amazing. So that that was that was great. Um, and you know, and haven't stopped since. After the huge fires across the summer of 2019, 2020, they wanted to go and look at what effect that it had on platypus populations. Last year, uh, much of New South Wales was experiencing a severe drought, um, and then the fires hit. And so we wanted to really have a look, a uh, close look at the impact of that kind of combination. So they went up to a series of sites in the catchments of the Manning and Hastings River up near Taree. So we take a pillowcase, hold that, and just the air. Thank you. So we'll start collecting various... And they chose a series of sites there. And those sites, some of them were sites where the fires had not burned through, so they were unaffected by fire. Some of them were sites that had been kind of indirectly affected by fire. So although the area itself had not burned, ash and runoff from the fires had washed into that section of the river and affected it. And what they found was that the populations seemed to be okay in the areas which had only been indirectly affected, but where there'd been fire, there were very few platypuses. And what we came across was really uh, obvious where on Dingo Creek that got burnt down, there were hardly any platypuses, Um, very, very low numbers. Uh, you know, just a handful. In the areas where they'd been where they'd been burned, the fires had destroyed all of the vegetation along the along the banks of the rivers. And, you know, that affects the platypuses in various ways. They lose their shading, they lose all of the food that drops out of the trees, because they get lots of invertebrate larvae that kind of drop out, insect larvae that drop out of the out of the trees. So James, what is all of this telling us then about the future for platypuses in Australia. If the population is dwindling, how worried should we be? Yeah, I mean, his research is telling us that, you know, the the platypus is in a difficult place. Its numbers are going to continue to decline if action's not taken. Some of the scenarios, Dr Bino and and his colleagues have done some research around kind of projections over the next 50 years, and some of the scenarios are are really very bad. I mean, they might lose up to kind of half their range in the next 50 years. You know, what that means is that we're looking at not the extinction of the platypus, but lots of local extinctions. They'll just disappear from lots of areas unless we start trying to change the way we do things like managing water and things like that as well. So, you know, what the research is saying to us is that the future for the platypus is difficult. 
and so I think there's really it's really important um, to get the platypus listed as vulnerable. I think the the data that we analyzed indicates that the species is vulnerable, been undergoing declines, and then we think it meets the criteria. And so I think that that um, you know, so the platypus deserves our conservation um, in you know in the coming future. A lot of this research has been fed into a into a submission to the Environment Department because what they're trying to do is to get the platypus listed as a threatened species at a federal level. That is a really important process for a whole range of reasons. So many of the threats that the platypus faces are actually things that kind of extend over state borders. So they're things about water management, they're about weirs, they're about environmental flows, and they're about things like climate action. We're at a point where if we do the right thing at this point, we can actually help it. We're not going to pass the point of no return. We haven't passed a kind of tipping point with it. And we know what we need to do to help it. Mm. And what would it say about us if we did allow a creature like the platypus, an iconic creature, to disappear? Look, I mean, the loss of the platypus is one of those things that seems very difficult to countenance. It's one of those very iconic, extremely charismatic kind of species. Certainly the kind of settler culture in Australia has placed it very much at a kind of centre of our idea of our idea of the land. You know, I mean, it's on our money. We used it as a, as a mascot. There is something both kind of shocking, I think, and telling about the idea that something that we see as so iconic might actually be a victim of the society that's celebrating it. James, thank you so much for talking to me about the platypus. Thank you for having me. The Monthly is Australia's leading magazine covering politics, society and culture. As a listener of 7am, you can get The Monthly for half price. A 12-month digital subscription to the magazine is just $3.50 a month. Go to themonthly.com.au slash podcast offer to subscribe. This offer is available until April 5. With award-winning news coverage and reviews, the Saturday paper is essential reading for everybody. For a limited time, subscribe to a year of our quality, independent journalism, and you'll receive the Saturday paper's stainless steel coffee cup, made in collaboration with Fresco, for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. The Saturday paper. No hot takes. Also in the news today... Queensland Liberal MP Andrew Lamming will quit politics at the next election after a Brisbane woman accused him of taking a photo of her underwear while she was bending down at work in 2019. Lamming initially said he would stand aside and undertake counselling in response to the allegations. And one new case of COVID-19 was recorded in Queensland yesterday as authorities attempt to control a new outbreak. The Queensland government originally claimed a positive COVID-19 case had held a large house party while awaiting test results, but police now say that was false and no offence was committed. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.